0: Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. We're going to continue our series, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I love that hymn, and I told you last week that that hymn was inspired by a poem written by a missionary. And I won't read the poem, but I'll read the last couple of lines of that poem that influenced the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. It says, Turn your soul's vision to Jesus and look and look at Him and a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from Him and the divine attraction by which God's saints are made, even in this 20th century, will lay hold of you For he is worthy to have all there is to be had in the heart that he has died to win. That's over a hundred-year-old hymn, and what an amazing inspiration from that poem, that he is worthy to have all there is to be had in the heart that he has died to win. I love that. And uh, that inspired the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Today in this series, I want to talk about the secret to a life of hope the secret to a life of hope. And as I was thinking about that this week, there's a lot of different directions I could go, but I, sometimes music speaks to me. I know music speaks to you. Uh, I love that hymn. I caught that. I raised my Ebenezer. Uh, when we sang that third song a while ago, I almost went, woohoo. We talked about that Wednesday night. If you were here Wednesday night, you know what I'm talking about. You raise your Ebenezer. It's a story in the Old Testament where they made a... a I raised a stone called Ebenezer that says God has brought me thus far. So when you sing these old hymns and you know what the biblical references are, you can get the point and you can have the picture in your mind of what it's saying. But there was a song that stood out to me this week, an old Phillips, Craig, and uh, Dean song called Nothing to Prove. And it tells a story. It says, You taught me how to ride a bike, tie my shoes, and fly a plane, how to swim and how to fish, to see a star and make a wish. Said it's okay to make mistakes, just don't get stuck in yesterday. Forgive, forget, and move ahead, because life is what you're living in. Now you're gone, and all I have are memories I hold dear. But if I'm quiet, I hear your voice still ringing in my ears. And the chorus says, Say, live, li- saying, live with no excuses, love with no regrets, laugh a lot, and leave this life with nothing left unsaid. Make this world a better place, don't be afraid to cry. When it's finally time to say goodbye, there's nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. And I love that chorus because when you think about it, when someone is living a life of hope, there's nothing to prove, there's nothing to lose, and there's nothing to hide. What a way to live. I want to talk about that secret to a life of hope. And it begins when you and I look to the Lord. I had an opportunity to do a funeral earlier this week. And uh, a scripture that came to mind was Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2. It says, I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I got a vivid reminder of that last weekend, being at the youth conference uh, with a youth group in Gatlinburg and seeing all those big old mountains and reminded of, hey, you know, we look to God for our help. Uh, We know where our help comes from. It comes from the one who made the mountain, who made the heavens, who made the earth. His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I need to be reminded that we need to look to the Lord for our help and for our strength. uh, Today I want to look at, for a moment, Matthew chapter 6. I want to go to the words of Jesus before we get to our main text. I was thinking about what Jesus taught Uh, In Matthew 6, in his Sermon on the Mount, he says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Now, we're talking about the secret to a life of hope. And I want to boil it down to this. The difference between people who have hope And those that don't, it's where their heart is. It's what they're living for. There's a lot of people in this world that are living just for this world. The things you can see, the things money can buy, the things that, as Danny said, can be replaced. But those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a a hope Uh, that is unseen, but a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. And you and I are not living uh, for this world. We're living in this world for the world to come. And so uh, Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What I'd like to ask you this morning is, what are you living for? Are you living for earthly treasures or heavenly treasures? Now, Jesus goes under the hood and kind of looks at what really makes this thing tick and what makes this work in our lives. After he mentions whether you store up treasures in, uh, on earth or in heaven, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So treasure is not a math issue, how much I have. It is a heart issue. Whatever Whatever you treasure has you. It has your heart. And he says... For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then it looks like he goes into left field. But he's still talking about the same thing. He says in the very next verse, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? And then he says, No one can serve two masters since he'll either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot serve both God and money. And that part about the eye being the lamp of the body, I used to read that and go, Jesus just had a moment. Where, where, where'd he go? What's he talking about? But he's still talking about uh, the treasure, whether it's on earth or in heaven. He's still talking about the heart. Now he's going to the eyes. The gate to the, to the heart is the eye. And when you and I begin to have our eyes on the wrong things, then we are full of darkness. And how deep is that darkness? But when we have our eyes on the right thing, then we're full of light. Can I tell you, when Christ is our treasure, when He is our ultimate motivation in this life, then our heart is right. Then our eyes are right. And we serve the real Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we try to live for this world and get involved in the things of this world, then our heart's not right. Our eyes are not right. And we have darkness in our lives. And we cannot have one foot with God and one foot with the world. It doesn't work that way. So what are you living for? No wonder David in the Psalms said in Psalm 119 verse 37, Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless and give me life in your ways. That really boils it down, don't it? In other words, David said, Lord, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things because my life comes from you. And that's what it comes down to, our heart and our eyes. Who has our attention? Who has our affection? So many, day, so many times now, it's hard for you and I to turn our eyes upon Jesus. We spend too much time with, with our eyes on our devices or other things. And let's be honest, they've made these things addictive, have they not? Uh, there are studies that show that. And so it's not going away, we can't go back to the past, but we've got to learn how to manage this wonderful tool that we've been given and make sure it's a, a, it's a tool and we know how to use it. But uh, I've been reading um, a, a, a book that I started like a year ago. This sounds like a resolution, don't it, Lisa? Like I started this book a year ago. Um, you know, when I was in seminary, I would read all these, uh, do all this research, and I'd always find a good quote, you know? And the guy was Dallas Willard. Maybe you've heard of Dallas Willard. He's gone to be with Jesus, and he wrote this book called The Divine Conspiracy. It sounds real, hmm, don't it? But it's basically a book about the Sermon on the Mount. It really is. Don't know why he called it that. But anyway, he's a great writer. He's a great thinker. And I started reading this book like a year ago. And then I quit because it's like that thick, you know. And now I'm back at it and I'm reading it again. And I love one quote he had that I'll share with you. It says, invest your life in what God is doing, which cannot be lost. Now, let me read that again. I'll unpack it. He says, "Invest, invest your life, in what God is doing, which cannot be lost. In other words, when you are going through a situation and you don't know what to do, how, how do I deal with this problem? How do I change this situation? What do I do? What do I say? And you're, you're, you're stumped. You're not sure how to proceed. Here's what he's saying. Invest your life in what God's doing because that can't be taken away from you. In other words, find out how God wants you to handle it. Find out what God wants you to do in the midst of that situation and do what He would tell you to do, say what He would tell you to say, and then know that that cannot be taken away from you. If you are investing yourself in what God is doing, that's not going to be taken away. When He says, lay up treasures in heaven instead of on earth, how do we do that? We've got to invest ourselves. In knowing God, loving God, following the Lord, serving the Lord. And when we invest our lives in Him, that cannot and will not be taken away. Only the things done for Jesus Christ will last. Think about on Judgment Day when everything passes through the fire. You know, the wood, hay, and stubble, it's all going to burn. There's going to be nothing there. But the gold and the silver and the precious stones... In other words, our good works that we did because God was at work in our life, they will pass that test of fire. They'll be purified and He'll get all the praise and we'll be vindicated because what we gave to God and what we did depending on Him, it will last. So if you want to lay up treasures in heaven and not on earth, start investing your life in what God is doing, which cannot be Lost. Well, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 3, because this is actually where I was going today, and I really wanted to point it out to you. I kind of struggle with this message. That don't always happens, but every once in a while it does. And this is one of those times. But my, my mind kept going back to 2 Corinthians 3. And the big idea I want you to get here, I don't want to get lost in the weeds. I want you to catch the, the big idea of this message. Paul was writing to a church who had a who had a lot of problems. And he was talking about letters of recommendation. You know, when you don't know somebody, you want to you get a letter of recommendation so somebody can vouch for them and say, oh yeah, they're legit. You know, they're the real deal. Uh, and he was talking about that. And Paul was saying, I don't need a letter. You're our letter because God's, uh, you're a letter of Christ. The Spirit of God has done a work in your heart and you're proof of our ministry. And he says... My competence is not from me, it comes from God. And then Paul begins to compare the ministry of the Holy Spirit to the ministry of, of Moses. He compares the new covenant to the old covenant. And there in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7-12, through 12, he says this, Now if the ministry that brought death, chiseled in letters on stones, came with glory so that the Israelites were not able to gaze steadily at Moses' face because of its glory, which was set aside, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry that brought condemnation had glory, the ministry that brings righteousness overflows with even more glory. In fact, what had been glorious is not glorious now by comparison because of the glory that surpasses it. For what For if what was set aside was glorious, what endures will be even more glorious. Since then, we have such a hope, we act with great boldness. And that's where it comes into the message. You would say, Corey, you lost me. We're talking about the secret to a life of hope. The difference between laying up treasures on earth versus laying up treasures in heaven. And we got to understand this part right here in 2 Corinthians 3 because Paul contrasts the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and he makes a big bold statement that says, now we have such a hope and we can act with great boldness. Well, wait a minute, Paul. How did you get that hope? And how can you be so bold about it? Well, that's what I want you to understand, the difference between the Old and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is when God gave Moses and the Israelites His law Uh, His commandments that were written on tablets of stone. And guess what? They were broke by the time Moses got down to the bottom of the mountain, right? He got down to the bottom of the mountain and they were doing anything and everything but that and in his frustration, he just threw them down and they broke. Very symbolic. That you and I try as we might, we try to conform to the standards of God and we're going to be disappointed. And we're going to disappoint Him. And thus, there was a need for a new covenant. The old covenant, not only were the the laws written on stone, but they brought condemnation. Think about it. You know, if you approach a piece of property and it says, you know, danger, no trespassing, all the law can do is warn you, but it can't help you. Because the minute you break that law, that law is not going to help you. It's going to hurt you. That law is going to say, you should have listened. You broke the law. You're guilty. And so it only brings condemnation. And yet Paul said when the law was given on these tablets of stone, it brought condemnation because it showed the problem, but it didn't give a solution. And yet it came with great glory. I mean, think about it. Moses on the mountaintop with God. And then when he came down, his face was glowing and everybody knew that Moses had met with God. And yet, here he says, the new covenant is written on our hearts. When we read the rest of the Bible, we know that God made a new covenant and it is now written on our hearts. Matter of fact, he says that the law is now written on our hearts. The same thing he would have wrote on tablets of stone, now he writes on our hearts You know, that's why Romans says the word is near you. It's in your heart. You believe in your heart. You confess with your mouth and you are saved. And this new covenant ministry, it brings salvation. Okay, why? Because now Jesus has come. And He has died on that cross. He's died for your sin and mine. And He makes it possible for us to be forgiven before God. And now His life, His Spirit lives inside of us. And that's why it's written on our hearts. And now we have salvation instead of condemnation. And obviously Paul's point is that's even more glorious. It's even more glorious. And that's what I want you to see. So what is the secret to a life of hope? knowing the difference between those two ways in life. And what I want you to realize today is this, we become what we behold. We become what we behold. Look, if you will, in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 13. He says, We are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from gazing steadily, until the end of the glory of what was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. Here's what I think Paul is trying to say in between the lines. Moses, being a wonderful man of God, he was, he was humble. He, he, he loved the Lord. He spoke to the Lord face to face like a friend, the Bible says. And whenever he went into the tent of meeting the tabernacle, The cloud that represented God's manifest presence would come over the tent of meeting. And so whenever Moses met with God, the people would look and see him go into the tabernacle, the temple of that time that God showed Moses what to build and how to build. And that was supposed to be the symbol of his presence with his people. Moses would go to that tabernacle. And whenever he did, the the same cloud that guided the people of God by day went over that tabernacle. And so God was visually demonstrating to his people, I'm meeting with Moses. And they knew that Moses was a man of God. They knew that he loved God. They knew he had a relationship with God. And they looked at how close he was to God. And yet Moses, I think, became conscious of something. Whenever he left the presence of God, he would literally glow. He had a glow about him. And people would go, wow, there is something different about you. But then he noticed that as time passed from being with God, the glory began to fade. And he didn't want to see people, he didn't want people to notice the glory fading. So what did he do? He wore a veil over his face. And he would wear that veil until it was time to go back in and meet with the Lord. And then he would take the veil off and he would get the glory shining again and then he would leave God's presence and he would put that veil back on so you couldn't see the glory fade. And Paul is saying, I want you to see I want you to see something. Our bodies are the temple now of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And we're not like Moses. We don't need a veil to kind of protect people from seeing the glory fading because the glory doesn't fade the glory gets stronger and stronger and stronger. But it's dependent on one thing. It's dependent on your and my daily walk with Jesus. we got to stay close to Him. we got to stay in step with His Spirit and fully lean in on Him and depend on Him moment by moment, day by day. And so He says, we're not like Moses that used to put this veil over His face to prevent the Israelites from realizing the glory was fading. It says their minds were hardened. And then he says this in verse 14, For to this day, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted, because it is set aside only in Christ. And yet still today, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Paul is kind of walking this analogy along. He started with the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And then he spotlights Moses and says, Moses wore this veil so you couldn't see the glory fading from his face. And then he says, we're not like Moses. We don't have to worry about the glory fading. And then he says, people that are stuck in the Old Covenant, people that don't know the Lord even though they might know the Word of God, if they've never come to Christ, That veil is still over them. And that's where it gets good. Because what I want you to realize today is that we become what we behold, and for some, the veil remains, and for some, the veil is removed. And what I want to do in the next few minutes is explain the difference between those two and ask you where you are in that. First of all, the veil remains. He says, still today when Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. Jump to the very next chapter, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 3 and 4. Paul says, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age, which is the devil, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see, he's kind of worked his way up here to the pivotal moment. See, the glory of God, uh, the image of God is in the glory of Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. That's what Jesus said. And so the image of God is in the glory of Christ, and the light of the gospel is in the glory of Christ. And when people who don't know Christ, they are still living behind the veil. They're keeping up a facade. They're keeping up an image of, I'm okay, I'm okay, everything's good. But if you pay attention, they've got a veil, because what glory they have fades. It doesn't last. And they don't want anyone to know that. But not not only that, but what Paul is alluding to here, something that John talked about in his gospel, is spiritual blindness. You know, when you and I don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, we are lost. Okay, that's what the Bible teaches. We are lost. And that means we're spiritually blind. We might physically see, but spiritually we're blind to the problem in our life. We don't realize that the reason why... You know, we, we do all these sinful things is because we're a sinner who does not know Jesus Christ. And instead of trying to do better or, or do more or try harder, what we need to do is come to the foot of a bloodstained cross and get saved by Jesus Christ. And so that is the ultimate issue. It's spiritual blindness. You and I, we become what we behold. And for many, the veil remains. We live for the things of this world. We're laying up treasures in this world. Our heart is not right. Our eyes are easily controlled. And Proverbs says that the eyes never get enough of seeing. The ears never get enough of hearing. And so we're swept along by the tide of this world because we're always seeing things. We're always hearing things. And we're wanting more and more. And we're living for right here, right now. And we're laying all this up one of these days it's going to be destroyed. It's going to all die in the fire. There'll be nothing to show for. Yet for those that come to Jesus Christ, we become what we behold, and the veil is removed. There in 2 Corinthians 3:16. He says this. He says, "But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Can I tell you that when you walk with Jesus Christ, when you know Him and you have Him in your life, it's glorious, but it doesn't stop there. You go from glory to glory to glory. You become more and more and more like Jesus. I tell you what, when I read the book of Acts, you know what stood out about the disciples of Jesus? They said that even though these men were unlearned and uneducated, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And you know what? May that be said of you and I. That when the world looks at us, when they see our life, they they see past the things we have in common, and they say, what is different about them? And then they realize, you know Jesus Christ. You've spent time with God. You've got a a glow of glory about you. I see God at work in your life. I see the Spirit of the Lord, His hand in, in your life, and that makes all the difference. Today I want to ask you something. The secret to the life of hope is found in Jesus Christ. And you can either live your life for this world or you can live your life for the next. What I want to ask you is this. What has your heart? What has your eyes? And more than anything else, are you living with a veil? Or has the veil been removed? Where are you with that? You know, I can remember being a teenager. And before I got saved, I just didn't understand why people came to church. And they came back week after week after week. And then every once in a while when they sing, they felt something and they raised their hands. And I'm just like, what's going on here? What am I missing? You know, I mean, the natural eye, I didn't see it. I didn't understand it. And my grandfather was a preacher and I still didn't understand it. And I can remember sneaking. Here's confession, okay? I can remember sneaking into the church sanctuary one Sunday. They were all in the fellowship hall, and somehow I got away. And I'm in the sanctuary, and I start singing "Amazing Grace," just playing around, you know, with the microphone and having my little time, you know. And in my mind, I thought, "What's so amazing about this?" Thankfully, just a few short years later, I got saved, and now I know what's amazing about "Amazing Grace." Now I know why people do what they do when they claim to know Jesus Christ. Now I know why they want to honor God with their commitment and their presence and their lives and and their offerings and all of that. Now I know because that makes all the difference in the world. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. You see, when the veil is removed in Christ you see the greatest treasure of all, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He died so that I might live. He died that I might know Him and live for Him. And I tell you what, the things of this world grow strangely dim, and I want to live my life for this person that died for me. He deserves all I have because He died to win me. And today, I want to ask you a question. Have you come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you come to the foot of a bloodstained cross? Have you come to the realization that I don't have what you're talking about, Brother Corey? I just don't have it. Maybe you've been to church all your life. Maybe you've read the Bible. Maybe you can quote Scripture. But you've never had that moment in life where you realized, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved and His name is Jesus. He's the Savior of the world and I need to come to Him and take that veil off. And stop living for the things of this world that fade and they never last. And come to Christ and take that veil off and grow in Christ from glory to glory to glory. I can tell you the longer I've walked with the Lord, the longer I've loved Him and served Him, it just gets better. As somebody said one time, it just gets sweeter. And it does. And so today, I want to encourage you and challenge you right now, right here, to respond to what the Lord is doing as we stand, as musicians come, and as we pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this time and your word. And Father, I pray that today would be that moment where we realize where hope comes from. Lord, it comes from you. And Lord, I pray we won't live another day longer without knowing you and walking with you. Father, I pray today, Lord, if there's someone today here that has never took that first step, uh, Lord, to trust and follow you, I pray today, Lord, they'll turn from their own ways. And Lord, they'll trust and follow you. And Father, I pray any decisions that need to be made today, Lord, I pray right now that you'd speak to every heart. And Lord, I pray that we would seek to be in step with your Spirit and continue to grow in our walk with you and to go from glory to glory to glory. Lord, have your will and your way in this service and in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. We have these next step cards. They'll collect them here in just a moment. If you want to communicate with us and let us know you're new here or if you just want to indicate the next step you want to take in your relationship with Christ, Go ahead and fill that out. You can give it to them or you can put it in the drop box at the back or at the Welcome Center. And right now, we're going to give an invitation. Maybe God's leading you to come and pray. Maybe you want to have prayer. Whatever the Lord wants you to do, wants not you come as we sing? Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, Find out meeting times or learn how to contact a pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.